Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Monday, October 3rd. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. After a bye week, Notre Dame preparing for a trip to Las Vegas to take on BYU. BYU is a 38-26 uh, winner over in-state rival Utah State. It was a bit of a struggle defensively. Offensively, they got it together in the second half. But, uh, guys, let's start with um, – before we get into BYU, because we'll have time later in the week with our second podcast, but Tim O'Malley – um, we, Marcus Freeman was asked about players you know, recovering from injuries. Of course, we knew about Henderson and Brown. He mentioned Michael Mayer. Tim, why don't you just give a recap as to what, uh, Marcus Freeman said about how they handled this pass by week. Yeah. And before people freak out, whatever Michael Mayer's injury was, I, yeah, he's, was yeah, he's, let's give him some time off because he does not need the, he should be in bubble wrap for every bye week, uh, for the rest of his life. Even and, his, and, he, and he was, he's fine. Yeah. He's fine. Um, but Henderson Brown obviously had the ankle and hamstring respectively got back in, you know, had time off in the bye week. He expects them back. Thought it was interesting. He said the running backs were banged up and yeah, that's what happens when they run that hard for an entire game like that and use all three of them. Cause that was really the crux of the team. So you asked the question, did you guys go hard Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? He said, yes, we did, but it did sound like it was more along the lines of the guys that need to go hard, went hard. And it's not a, situation where everybody was put through the ringer like it was some type of uh week five boot camp that we've talked about in the past yeah and i i think the don't you think that's sort of where the buy coming after four games comes into play i think that even was like a uh you know kind of a tangential point of like the self-scout like after four games and and really it's like two games of tyler buckner two games of drew pine like i'm not sure this this was like your typical bye week. Um, this just this is probably more like an NFL bye week where you have one early in the season, you have one late in the season. I think Notre Dame still has a lot to figure out about itself, um, and you know having a break to do that probably helps a little bit. But I'm not sure that this is a bye week where you come out and you you see a, a different Notre Dame or a sharper Notre Dame just because they had a week off. The one adjustment, uh, Tim O'Malley, you mentioned about. Um the adjustment on the depth chart, they've taken the ore away from one of the cornerback positions. Yeah. Benjamin Morrison is really the only one listed just Benjamin Morrison. One Clarence Lewis two. the, cause even the other side is, well, we know this to be true. Cam Hart or Tariq Bracey. I mean, Tariq Bracey plays more snaps than everybody on the defense every week. But uh, I think the way you're looking at that is maybe sometimes if they're not going nickel, which they will be doing this week, but when they're not going nickel, Tariq Bracey could be the other starter along with Benjamin Morrison. And that is not what we said or anyone said when this season started, if you're trying to figure out the top two corners, but I thought, I think Cam Hart has played well since the first game. Um, this is going to be a good test for the corners. Last game was a good test for the corners. They passed it. You know, they, I mean, there was, there's the two ugly plays. I think that uh, I don't know how to reconcile those. So I'm not going to try because the game was over, but <laughs> there's the two ugly plays that I don't know how to reconcile. Um, those are usually not a good sign, but this is another good test for the corners. And <laughs> It'd be nice to see them now make a play instead of just being in the right spot quite often. I think Pete has kind of hinted at that a lot. Like they're not getting killed, but they're not turning the game around either. No, it's like you want to get a hand on a ball. Um, that's, yeah. that's where it, it's not even get a pick. I think it's like break up a pass, you know, Cam Hart had a few against uh, North Carolina, but he, he was also at fault for the first play of the game. And basically the last play of the game, um, I believe. Uh, yeah, the last play I can't figure out. Um, I don't think it was sure what was happening. Here. Was, well, was I, I mean, I saw some analysis where where it was placed upon Bracy, but I don't see how I don't see I how that could it. have been on Bracy. I because there was a there was a receiver inside of Green who uh, I think Green scored again this weekend for North Carolina. He's probably going to have a a big season, but uh, I mean. That's neither here nor there right now. But, you know, looking ahead, I mean, that we, we talk about the challenge for Notre Dame's defensive backs. And 
there was another one this weekend. There's no doubt about it. Now, Puka. Yeah, Tim, Nakua. I want to interject one thing right. um, that Pete mentioned, get a hand on the ball. Like, I was looking at BYU's. The one thing Pro Football Focus does well, it's not the grading of the players. It's the raw data that they track. Yes. And forced incompletions is something they look at for players. Like, for instance, Julian Love in 2017 probably had about, since he had 23 PD, including interceptions, he probably had 29 forced incompletions or something along those lines, just guessing. Notre Dame has four from Clarence Lewis, and that's twice as many as anyone else. And this, that's the total of the rest of the team. Cam Hart, two, Morrison, one, and Joseph, wow. one. Wow. So Clarence Lewis, the guy that's benched, has as many forcing completions as the team. That's a low total. Wow. That's another pass defense stat added to the Yeah, because you don't to touch the mix. You know how like you'll be tracking. So you have passes broken up, passes. I'll just write I'll just write down like good coverage, Lewis. So maybe this is part of like you are you are forcing the ball to be incomplete with your coverage or the fact that you're there and it gets thrown out of bounds and and things like that. But there's There's always more stats. There's always more stats, Tim. It's different than defensed. (laughs) Like there, so it's passes broken up, passes defensed, and passes (laughs) passes broken up is batted down. Right. I'm sorry, passes defensed is batted down. Passes broken up is batted down plus interceptions. Correct. PDUs plus INTs equals PDs. Yes, I never knew that. completions is like another level entirely. Yes, but Tim, I never realized that until Julian Love had that amazing year. Right, and I and I misconstrued that stat at that yes. at that yeah. at that time. Yeah. Well, anyway, BYU's got a bunch of good receivers. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> so let's get some forcing completion. And yeah. yeah, I mean Puka Nakua is. Yeah, he I, he had a high ankle sprain early, and then I saw him blow it out two games ago. And so I don't know what his status is for this weekend, but it can't be really good. Now they got Gunnar Romney back. Uh, I've been told by people in know in the know that Naku is a, a much greater threat than Romney, but they've had other receivers step forward. Keanu Hill, number one, Cody Epps, zero. Yep. Uh, Braden Cosper, 20. Guy, right? I'm throwing these numbers out because Nordian fans are going to see these numbers this weekend. Chase Roberts is a freshman that came in and did a really nice job for them early in the season when Nakua and Romney were both out. So it it will be a challenge. And we've already talked about Jaron Hall. He's really good. We He's very accurate. He throws a very catchable ball. He's very resourceful. He's been sacked five times, but a lot of that is just because he is so resourceful and keeps plays alive so long that eventually sometimes the pass rush gets to him, but it's going to be a real challenge against him. Uh, I'm, I, you know, the crowd at BYU has become significant. So I'm glad that they're playing in Las Vegas because that, that crowd has become, has started to influence games a little bit. So glad it's in Vegas, but, Definitely a, a challenge for Notre Dame's pass defense and pass rush. Well, it definitely was. I remember that crowd in 2004 um, when Notre Dame had the rescheduled game out there that moved earlier and BYU won the game. Like it was a tough place to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they were, they were really into it and it's, uh, they're probably more into it now based on the last couple seasons with Sataki than they were even back then. Yeah. Tim jumping back to, uh, my, uh, from from uh, Marcus Freeman's press conference, I know you wanted to. I mean, we, uh, the receiver, the receivers yeah, were brought up. Topics. Yeah, go ahead. He he, uh, he was asked specifically about Merriweather, Colsey, and Wilkins because, I mean, no matter anyone's focus on should Tobias Merriweather play because he's more talented, should Deion Colsey be back yet? Can Joe Wilkins help? He's played before. The real point for me and why these questions are relevant, I did not happen to ask it today, but it's relevant because they don't play enough wide receivers <laughs> over the course of 12 games. Like I think Braden Lindsay playing 75 snaps a game will not be sustainable through the end of November where you could get some. So I just wonder who they can get in. Marcus Freeman kind of put it out there. You guys heard the term, right? He wants them to seek feedback. Right. Like those guys will play more when they maybe, maybe they can seek some feedback. In other words, you don't like why you're not playing? Go ask Coach Reese, well, Coach Stuckey. Get in the film room and find out why you're not playing. Yeah, did he uh, did he lump Wilkins in with the other two young guys? Because I found that Probably a little bit unusual. Probably not about Wilkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just assume Wilkins is not as explosive as he was in April before he got hurt. I mean, 
I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure Wilkins no, and explosive no, not, not were ever mentioned. He has good testing numbers, Joe Wilkins, and he did make one of the best catches of the year last year. So I like yeah. to give him a little more credit than we did a few years ago. That that leaping third down catch on, I think Joe Wilkins, if he never got hurt, would be playing ahead of Jaden Thomas right now. Yeah, that's, I agree. With yes, that. yeah, I do. Okay. I do agree with that's that. As far as I'm going, but that's where I that's where I go to that. I think. Pete, yeah, Pete, your your perception of what's going on at receiver because what O'Malley says is, you know, if you had two bye weeks, like if you had four games by week four games by week then maybe you could get away with right yeah but yeah i am uh i thought merriweather would be farther along than he is based on what we heard about him in the summer but i also think that too many people have sort of skipped over the fact that he missed a motion against cal when drew pine signaled for him to motion he didn't motion then drew pine got blown up um like that's super basic stuff that if you can't do that, you can't play. Um, that's just sort of getting yourself lined up. Hopefully a bye week for Tobias Merriweather changes that a little bit. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to process when you're out on the field. I mean, heck, we saw Drew Pine in his first start. What did it look like in the first quarter? Not good. So, you know, for a freshman to go through that, it's a little bit understandable. We've seen freshmen sort of take off after a bye week before. Maybe this will be one of those, um, you know, but they need, because I, I think, you know, you know what you're going to get out of Wilkins at a max efficiency, yeah. which is not a ton. Merriweather is a little bit more of an unknown. They, ju they just need something from him. Um, you know, and I, when I say something, I mean 25 snaps a game instead of the 12 he played against North Carolina and the four he played against Cal. It doesn't need to be a ton, uh, but they need something. As it relates to um, Notre Dame's offensive opportunity against BYU this weekend, for those that saw the Utah State game, and Utah State's normally pretty good. They're, I believe they're one and four now, so they're struggling. But they ran the ball against BYU. They, and certainly in the first half, they ended up with over 200 yards rushing, 4.3 per carry. And so when you consider what Notre Dame was able to do against North Carolina, which is a which is a poor run defense, but you know BYU's numbers defensively generally have held up pretty well uh, against the run, but they're fading a little bit because they're just. I mean, I think Notre Dame's offensive line is in a position to have a really good game against BYU's defensive front. I talked in the past about BYU using a three man line, but they won't use that against Notre Dame because they know that they can't. Yep. Uh, but and they and they they didn't. You know, they were they were four down from what I saw most of the Utah State game, too. So it's a big opportunity for Notre Dame to uh, to run the football. And I think they need to do it in order for Notre Dame's passing game. Everything we talk about the passing game in order for it to have any success, it's got to be accompanied by a solid running game. Because if yeah, you can't the compliment, the compliment absolutely has to be there. Now, I thought I think Reese has done a good job of um, not necessarily opening with that solid running game. He's opening with plenty of pass plays on first down because as much as Marcus Freeman will keep saying, you know, we'll be a we'll be a power running team, and that you gotta you gotta be able to you gotta be able to keep yourselves out of uh, second and seven quite a bit too. And the, the good way to get second and seven is a few too many handoffs on first down. Yeah, and that was I mean Notre Dame lived in second and four, second and three against oh, North Carolina. They and, everything. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the BYU corners, which I've had an opportunity to look at a little bit more here the last uh, last few days, but. Uh, this segment of Irish Illustrated Insider has been brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino Las Vegas in Las Vegas, located on Fremont Street in historic downtown Las Vegas. Circa is the home of the world's largest sports book where you can watch up to 19 games at once. Want to be outside? No problem. There is no better place to take in all the college football and NFL action than Stadium Swim. Six pools on three levels and a 40-foot tall high-def screen to watch all the action. Irish fans, when you come to town for the Notre Dame BYU game this week, Circa is the place for you. For, for reservations and more information, go to CircaLasVegas.com. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. 
Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more making game day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Tom Mendoza. Which players do you think we'll see increased playing time coming off the bye week and given BYU's attack? You mean besides Tobias Merriweather? Yes, besides Tobias Merriweather. <laughs> yeah, we don't, and, and we don't know whether he will actually be a getting little more, increase but, if he gets in. So. Yeah, I, I, I would, um, yeah, I would think you know Logan Diggs now had another week, had a week off. I would think we see more of Logan Diggs, uh, especially if he runs between the tackles. But he's proven to be a weapon in the passing game as well. Um, I'm just going to mention a couple guys and let you guys take over from there. But I, you know, Scott Raritan, based upon the way Marcus Freeman spoke of him today. They certainly are looking to rare uh, to rare it and to do a little bit more. Maybe that includes stays a, as well. Um, and and G- I'm going to throw out one more Gabe Rubio. I think we're seeing more of him in the middle of the field and not just on goal line. That is one big dude, a defensive tackle. And I think that he's been pretty productive in the little bit that we've seen him. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree with all those. I think that Eli Raritan, I mean, he's tight end two now, right? You know, Mitchell Evans is Marcus Freeman talked about earlier today, not ready to go. Um, you know, so that's, that's not really in the mix. I, I'm interested to sort of see what happens, you know, with Ramon Henderson, you know, is he back healthy all the way, you know, DJ Brown's a little bit banged up coming out of the North Carolina game. Um, you know, Ramon Henderson definitely has been like the fourth of the four safeties so far, or the five safeties. If you want to have Watts be the fifth guy, um, you know, but between those two guys, do you, do they rotate in the, a little bit more there? Um, you know, but I think Rubio is a deep cut and a good call. Um, I would, I would support that because he's, he's, I think he's been productive when he's been in there. Yeah. I think rare. I mean, Raritan and stays and Sherwood Sherwood will probably play the same amount he's played. They like the two tight end thing because they don't have enough wide receivers for one thing. You, you want to have Davis Sherwood's physicality in there instead of Matt Salerno. I'd rather have him in there. Let Braden Lindsay run 60 snaps. If you're not going to play another wide receiver, have Holden stays in there for some formations. The way Eli, the way Marcus Freeman talked about Eli Raritan, he might be the only guy. He and Benjamin Morrison that he really was effusive in his praise of um, that just, he's, he really, really wants to get after as a blocker, which I mean, that's going to come someday. I do like Pete that Ramon Henderson has kind of found that niche and it was only one game really, but uh, where he's playing nickel or dime linebacker, he's no longer in the back end. Um, I know he had the one bad play against Marshall, but other than that, they, they seem to like him as a blitzer. So I think you could use him. Um, for me, can you get, can Colsey or either the or Wilkins or Merriweather help you a little? I, it, it's getting to the point now where you wonder why, Colsey can't help. Although I guess as Tim points out, a sprained PCL means you tore your PCL during August. And maybe that's part of the reason why he can't help. Right. But he, I mean, he doesn't seem like he's at all a factor when he's in there. I don't notice him. Yeah. As part of it. I, I just feel like they need another wide receiver and we've, we've beaten the Tobias Murray or the thing to death. So maybe you're going to see more, just more two tight end sets and with Holden stays, he can be a three tight end set because he's, we saw him in August, man. He can get open. Yeah. You know, and I, and I really, I mean, when we think of tight ends, we don't think of Davis Sherwood, but what we saw against North Carolina, I mean, he was a integral part of their two tight end blocking stuff. So I would imagine we would continue to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine we would continue to see him. And then, 
you know, where does Xavier Watts fit in? Uh, Marcus Freeman said today that he's not playing wide receiver anymore. It's strictly, he was having a tug of war between offense and defense and it sounds like defense won, but you know, I mean, the physicality that he brings, I don't think that you can, you can bypass that per se. So maybe, I don't know if there's room for all those guys to play back on the back end of the defense, but if you are moving Henderson up into that role that you just mentioned, Tim, then maybe there's something more right. for Watts back there. I mean, we have Prince Collie for another half. Can Prince Collie get more than 10 snaps yeah. this time? You know, it's J.D. Bertrand's out, so maybe he gets it in there. I don't know. It's Bo Bauer, as Pete pointed out a long time ago, is clearly injured because he's just not playing oh, yeah. near these snaps. Right. So yeah. Prince Collie, you think, would have to work his way in so you can preserve – Jack Kaiser and Maris Leofau for games too. So I'd yeah. like to see Kali in there. Uh, I would think almost Al, the way Al Golden talked about him, you'd be surprised if he doesn't get in a dozen snaps here with JD Bertrand yeah. out because it's now, time. Yeah, you know, Bauer said in an extra a week to get healthy. So maybe we see a little bit more, more of him question from Diego Irish. Do you believe it's on the coaches to adjust their scheme coaching to be able to get their freshman playmakers on the field or is it on the player to learn the scheme no matter how complex clearly both um i don't i go back to what brian kelly said when he mentioned if we can't get Jalen smith and max redfield on the field we're doing something wrong turns out those guys are a little different and maybe you could get one on the field and not the other so we don't know the ins and outs of why guys don't play other than pete pointed out obviously tobias merriweather missed a pretty important and simple check to come in motion or not even a check that he had to come in motion. If that happens three times of practice, are they going to play him over Braden Lindsay? Like I'm begging? Probably not. Right. Yeah. And that's not, you know, that that's not a complexity of the offense. That's a, right. that's a that's basic, basic part. Yeah. That's basic stuff for a receiver. So, but I don't, I mean, the question is, it, We've been presented two completely opposite ends of the spectrum here. Yeah, that's why it's that's and it's and that's why it's both, and that's why it's somewhere in between. Yeah, the coaching staff has to make it easier for a player to get on the field, but you can't do it at the expense of the complexity within your offense that is deceiving to the opponent. You can't do it at the expense of all right, Tobias Merriweather would be a much better goal line option right now than Braden Lindsay. Braden Lindsay can play anywhere on this field and help Notre Dame, except inside the 10 yard line. It does not make that much sense to have Braden Lindsay there unless you're giving a jet and he turns the corner. Now what if Tobias Merriweather lines up wrong and instead of first and 10 at the 10 first and 15, or what if he misses that again and drew pine gets sacked like that. They care. They, these things matter and it really matters to coaches. So everybody wants to see Tobias Merriweather run a go route. I get it. I want to see Tobias Merriweather in the red zone instead of Braden Lindsay. Cause I think that seems like a package you can get him. but I, we say package, you can get them. Maybe they don't feel they need to get him a package. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on it. Everything's on the players and the coaches. It, it, it's a collective thing. Yeah. It's not one versus the other, but it does, but you do as a coach <laughs> having been there, I mean, you do have to be met halfway at, at some point. I think yes, more than and- halfway. More than more, okay. I mean, come on. Right. Let's let's you know it's Tobias Merriweather has to go earn the job. Chancey Stuckey and Tommy Reese don't have to meet him halfway to give him the job. No, like it's good it's point. all it's I think it's it's on the players who play are the ones who do it the way the coaches tell them to do it. Isn't that how you earn playing time? You do what that's, your coach says. That's that's, that's how you do it. That's where feedback came in, right? And I, you, you know, feedback. I mean, had he had he come in in the spring, which is you know, I mean, I still think that more and more guys are doing it, but it's still a tough ask for a kid that's a senior in high school. I, I mean, I, you know, I think I've said this before. Well, but has another I mean, sport I, that he excels at too. Right, like, right. COVID to excel to basketball. Right, I mean, like, yeah, state. somebody's chasing a state title in basketball. Who yeah. was that reference? Somebody made a reference to that. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to deny a kid that opportunity. I realize that, you know, you got to know what side your bread is buttered on, but, but uh, like, still. the I think it's a like the coaches want the best players to play. That's why Eli Raritan and Benjamin Morrison are playing, even though they showed up in summer. One of them yeah. tore his ACL last winter and is playing. So it's if you go out and show that you deserve to play, they, they will play you. Um, and that's 
I mean, that was true with Brian Kelly as well, as much as I think some listeners felt like it wasn't. Um, that if you're a freshman and you're great and do what the coaches tell you, you'll play. Right. And it's not like, I think, I think there's a tendency just to remember the, the highly rated freshmen that don't play, but you know, Lorenzo styles needed a month last year and then he played extensively and the opportunity is still there for, for, uh, for Tobias Merriweather and question I, for, I, go ahead, Tim. I want to like correct myself. I keep saying Braden Lindsay. All right. Well, they're in the red zone. Maybe Notre Dame would like to have Eli Raritan in instead of Tobias Merriweather or, right. Colsey or someone like that, because there's another guy you're going to take him out against. He's competing against tight ends and running backs too. And don't you want to see Tyree and estimate both in there? On first and goal with seven because I do. I mean, that there's only so many spots, right? So uh, I guess I should stop talking about putting in people that I, uh, <laughs> that, that no, I, I think consider. I wrote this this week, and I think it's a good thing for everyone to think of it this way. It's not three receivers, one tight end, one back, it's five skill position players, and you're trying to find it's like the offensive line, you're trying to find your best five. And if your best five are two backs, two tight ends, and one receiver, so be it. And that um, is it this year too. People have yeah. to get understand that is it. That is their best five this year in yeah. many forms, two, two, and one. Yeah. Yep. Question from Denver Maximus. Do you anticipate any changes to the defense coming out of the bye week? We know JD Bertrand is out of the first half, but any other changes in anticipation of facing BYU? Will we see the defense finally play a complete game? Well, Freeman brought that up today. They haven't, there's been a drive in each game where it's kind of hurt them in the end it didn't hurt him against Carolina except cosmetically and you know other than Collie I think getting in there because Bertrand's out that's the natural effect of needing a player I don't know who would play more we kind of covered that you get some snaps out of Rubio you wonder they like I guess they like five corners rotating right I mean Jaden Mickey gets a lot of time for you can name the mistakes he's made yeah yeah but they, I mean, they know his upside and they right, know that right. there's a friend. He's also, you know, I listed like four things that I saw from rewatching North Carolina that Mickey did very well. So yeah, I mean, he's doing, it doesn't even count. The two point conversion is never going to show. Right. Up right. That, that yeah. No. So he is doing a lot of good things. I, I'm going to jump ahead here, Tim, real quick, because Gambit 1077 asked, did Notre Dame utilize the targeting? appeals process for jd bertrand carrying over into the byu game if not why if so what was the result i asked marcus freeman about that and uh it was uh, it sounded like it was quickly denied and then i said so in other words you can't lead with the face mask which everybody says that you can because that's what bertrand did on that play did he not i mean i think that that's i think that's true i i think it's i still think that's a really really difficult call when you add everything up there, but anyway, it was denied. And, uh, when I said, so actually the face mask is illegal. He Marcus Freeman just kind of laughed. And then uh, it was like, you knew what their appeal was the the entire grounds of it, Tim. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about that? Uh, so anyway, that was denied and JD Bertrand will sit out the first half. And hopefully not the first half of the Stanford game when he lights up. <laughs> well, you, you, I mean, you have to wonder, damn, the kid's getting a little gun shy by now, right? I would think he you would, would be. Think. Yes. Because, well, you know, and wouldn't. a lot of times, a lot of times targeting is an offensive player that moves at the last second. Oh, yeah. And you've already committed to making the play defensively. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's, it's a rule that I don't know that we can ever fully come to grips with regardless yeah. how they call it. Next from Andy Davis, BYU did not look inspired defensively in their matchup against Utah State and got pushed around. Offensively, they were much better. Are we still confident they are a true litmus test for where Notre Dame is? Well, I mean, yeah, they're they're a good football team. I mean, true litmus, litmus test? Is Notre Dame facing a top 10 team in the country? No, but this is the next step in the process for Notre Dame. And I think the, the largest challenge, of course, is stopping, stopping their quarterback, Jaron Hall, the receivers, the freshman running back that I mentioned last week. Uh, he did not start and he didn't carry a whole lot in, in lieu of Christopher Brooks, who's the, the transfer from Cal and he had a better game against Utah state. But um, yeah, I mean, BYU is a older veteran physical football team 
with a really, really good college quarterback and some weapons to throw to. So that in and of itself, to me, is a litmus test. Notre Dame's two and two. It lost to Marshall a couple of weeks ago. So I think that any win is a good win at this point. And I think BYU is a good team. They're, they're ranked. Um, it's not a home game. Like you said, Jaron Hall is, I mean, he's not Drake May, but he's not falling into the O'Malley living, breathing quarterback either. Like he's a good college player. So I think this is a, yeah, this is a, a real test for, for Notre Dame coming out of a bye week How does Marcus Freeman manage all of that? Um, you know, I, there's, you know, is it going to prove that Notre Dame is a college football playoff contender? Obviously not, but they just need to, that this needs to be the third win in a six game winning streak heading into Clemson. And that's important to get the third win in a six game win streak. Yeah. And they'll cosmetically, they'll be ranked if they beat BYU in this, they'll be three and two beating BYU in North Carolina. And they will go from others receiving just a few votes to Carolina being ranked which means nothing if they keep winning going to clemson they'll be ranked a little bit higher and then they have the opportunity against clemson i think there's always a tendency to like will the next game make a statement for the rest of the season and i and i just the next statement game is clemson yeah i i just i'm not or the next loss that that will make yeah next game uh, if they beat clemson that is a statement (laughs) and i'm not oh peter did you say any next loss yeah any next loss is a statement right yeah, any loss before Clemson would be a statement as well. Just, yeah. you know, obviously not yeah. one that you want to make. Notre Dame needs to build upon what they did against North Carolina. Notre Dame's defense needs to put a complete game together. If they do that, then it, it's a litmus test, and they're 3-2 and two with a great chance to be 5-2 and two when they go to Syracuse. And I'd look at the Syracuse game as a – you better be prepared to play Syracuse at Syracuse. Because they do have they do have some weapons. Yes. Question for next question from for Cheryl R. Oh, Cheryl, uh, what is Cheryl R zero one zero nine one four eight zero? Question from Cheryl: Can Nordin run the ball against BYU? Yes. Really yeah, I mean this is Absolutely not. Said they could not do that too. Yeah, Notre Dame is. Notre Dame's run game is getting better. Its offensive line is getting better. Its backs are getting better. And I think BYU's defense against the run is just, just okay. Um, it's similar to Notre Dame's in terms of the yards per carry allowed. So I, I don't think there's anything about BYU's defense that should lead you to believe this is going to be one of those like 28 carries for 79 yard types of games. No, that can't um, happen. Be able to run it. I, I, in fact, I think I just, I, I recently wrote they, they cannot have any more. You can't have right. any more of those kind of rushing games, but just a quick recap for what it's worth. Uh, South Florida rushed for 107 yards, 4.0 per carry. Baylor rushed for 152 yards, 2.9 per carry. Oregon rushed for 212 yards, 4.8. Wyoming rushed for 124 yards, 3.6. And then Utah State had 204, 4.3. Now, with the way Notre Dame's, with the way Notre Dame's offensive line is trending, with a Logan Diggs getting healthier, with a, with what the difficulty that Audric Estime presents for a defense getting him to the ground. Yes, Cheryl, R01, da-da-da. They should be able to run the football against BYU. If they don't, they're in trouble and will probably lose. Yeah, they'll lose their next game. They have 26 carries for 79 yards or yeah. whatever you guys said. That, that's right. But I want to say one thing. Because they can run the ball now, they actually have an extension of the running game because these running backs they, they... <laughs> are very much worthy of being called an extension of the running game. They, they can make plays in the passing game. I call it an extension of the passing game, but that's just semantics. So however you want to say <laughs> it, but, Drew Pine. Yeah. you know, we've said this and Tommy, Tommy Reese doing a really nice job of getting the football, the running backs in the, in the passing game. And that's huge because um, some of the matchup issues that Notre Dame will deal with. I, I, I That's a question to, to get to, but I'm going to pair two up here from Kay Bailey for anybody with Bailey and their name is going to get their question asked on this podcast. And I'm going to team that up with Trevor live. Anyway, based on Notre Dame's offensive success against North Carolina, what is one thing you can expect 
to do to try to limit that? And what would Notre Dame's counter be? And then from Trevor Live, Notre Dame struggles against strong corners who are physical at the line of scrimmage. What should we expect from the BYU corners? Well, clearly Notre Dame has developed the identity of some power football dictating to you. And then they have more options because of Michael Mayer. He, I think Michael Mayer is what allows you to have other options. If Roderick Estime can run the ball and you can get the ball to Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs in space. And as Tim pointed out, if Chris Tyree can run with the same manner that he did against North Carolina, that determined I'm going to get my five yards. They have a real running game with those three guys. And Michael Mayer is an uncoverable person one-on-one which allows Notre Dame to have a balanced attack. So BYU has to take away one thing, take away the running game. You have Notre Dame, but Notre Dame has adjustments to it. But everyone has to try to take away Notre Dame's running game going forward now to make Drew Pine beat them. I, there's no extension to the running game if there's no running game. Like no. Gonna, yeah, throw little slants to Styles or player passes to Styles and Tyree and beat good teams. I have barely watched BYU other than some of the Utah State game, and I wasn't really watching it with this perspective, so I'll kick it to Priester on this. Like, does are BYU's corners jam physical Marshall style corners or not? Um, because that's that's even if that wasn't my strength, if I was a defense corner, that's how I would play Notre Dame. I don't know that I would put them at the same level as the Marshall corners, but they're right there. And I would in particular mention number five, D'Angelo Mandel. Um, who seems to be the, the, the guy that presses the most amongst the, the corners. He uses his hands extremely well. He gets into the upper body of receivers off the snap of the ball. So anybody that you see going up against number five, D'Angelo Mandel, I think is going to have his hands full. The other corner is Gabe Judy Lally. I see him press. I don't see him press as much, uh, but he does it. So that is my answer to the dual question here is BYU is in a position to put more guys in a box and man up and press at the line of scrimmage with their corners until Notre Dame's whiteouts. Yeah, you, you have I mean, to. yeah, yeah. I mean, Braden Lindsay just continues the low percentage of, of catch per target. It's, it's in the low 40% again, which we were hoping that would be something that would be a significant improvement or some kind of improvement from last year. And it's just, it's not happening. So, you know, my answer to that question is, yeah, there's something they can do. And I would, and I, 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 I BYU's linebackers are, they're really good. I, I like their linebackers. Um, Max Tooley, number 31 is a really good player. Now he got lucky Saturday because not only was he, not only was he not called for targeting, they didn't even throw a penalty. They didn't, even, they didn't stop the game and it should have been targeting. And on the next play, he had a pick six. So, um, so he's a good player. They've got a couple linebackers, but I really like him. And so, yeah, they can, they can feel comfortable putting seven and seven, eight in the box, seven in the box. Yeah. Anyway, because they have good linebackers to, to tackle the football. I mean, no one's going to play Notre Dame without seven in the box from now on. It's just the most ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. They consider, can, they, but you yeah, would, you would not try to press Notre Dame's corners and make a receiver to make them beat you. Um, Robin, I just, I did a quick check since we were talking about forced incompletions, forced incompletions, and they are not a Marshall's level on this stat. At least Marshall's secondary has 14. And for BYU, Robinson has two. Caleb Hayes has a couple. And Judy Lolly has one. They're almost as uh, they're about the same as Notre they're Dame. About to, they and they they they're not, whatever that means. But they're not going to press as much as Marshall's corners do. From what I've seen, is it amazing how much Marshall's corners have come up in our podcasts? Well, the same way Cincinnati's corners came up last year too. Yeah, that's, that's true. They went to the playoff though. There are <laughs> we, no, I know. We knew yeah. about them before well, the game that's started. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Marshall has uh, Marshall has Marshall lost to Troy. Uh, for their second <laughs> loss in a row. So, uh, but the corners are real deal. I mean, we can, you know, we can laugh about that stuff, but they're look. No, they are. They are good. Go, and, and look, go, go follow the NFL draft yeah. this year. And, and, and you'll see players pick from schools that you never would have imagined. It happens. Oh, there are good. Players, if you're wondering too, when we see these uh, predictions about where Kevin Austin's going to go in the draft. Yeah. They're good players. They're good players at group of five schools. There just are. You can see it in the draft every year. 
Next from Dutter25, how do you see the secondary matching up with BYU's passing game? Do we finally see a couple interceptions? A couple interceptions. Jaron Hall has thrown 171 passes. He has 12 touchdowns and one interception. So he's got a one. It, it, he throws the interception one every 171 passes so far. So a pick would be great for Notre Dame. Two would mean a win. And no, two would mean oh my god, yeah. Two would mean a win, and that would mean that would the 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 good things that we've been thinking about Notre Dame secondary are true because it's a good receiving core with or without the injuries and a really, really accurate quarterback. Yeah. Two, two picks seems like a lot. Um, Al Golden said, once you get one turnover, they come in bunches. So maybe that will happen then too. I mean, it's like, but Cam Hart went forever without a pick and then he had two against Wisconsin last year. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Jaron Hall is better Mertz. than Graham Mertz, but you know. Graham Mertz is not walking through that door, Pete. No, no. Paul Chris might be, though. Um, I was just going to say, <laughs> speaking of Wisconsin, really? Yes. Really? <laughs> you're 43. You're, I believe it's 43 and 18 in the Big Ten with him. And I mean, how good, man, I realize their offense is horrible at times, but yes. I'm not really sure how good Wisconsin thinks that they can be. Because I don't think they can be much better than than what Paul Chris has done, and you guys you've, know that I've come full circle on Paul. No, I mean you guys know. I'm talking about Paul Chris fit at Wisconsin. Are they going to do better than that? I mean, maybe Jim Leonard has been the guy in waiting, and so they figured, oh, what the heck? Let's go ahead and pull the trigger. I, I, I don't know. Not that Paul Chris is, is old by any means, but I, yeah, I mean, I I, I respect him for him being a great fit for Wisconsin and what he's been able to accomplish there. Certainly. I like this question by Dutter though, because I think it goes to what Pete was saying about how many safeties are they going to continue to rotate. And I really want to see if they, if they're rotating five corners, does the fifth corner, if that's Mickey or Lewis, does he match up and does he make plays when called upon? Because it's not like they rotate him out there when it doesn't matter. Third and three and Jade Mickey's up. No. So it's going to be five corners for Notre Dame playing against them. I think it's, kind of the game within the game is how those five guys match up because they rotate heavily. Yeah. Looking forward to that match and uh, that matchup. That'll be fun. Uh, question from golden domer, 25 hypothetical Notre Dame gets the onside kick in the Marshall game and scores to win everything from then on stays the same score wise and stat wise. Notre Dame sits at three and one this week. What would you guess Notre Dame's current ranking would be as well as the narrative surrounding the team? <laughs> the narrative would be quite positive because no one would remember that the Marshall game was. Oh, closed. absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they would be let's see behind USC, right? Well, they were, they were eight when they lost to Ohio state <clears throat> and they would have dropped with the use an onside kick. Yes. The yeah. 10, they definitely would have dropped. Um, I mean, I think Notre Dame would still be behind USC. Not sure they'd be behind Oklahoma state, Tennessee and Ole Miss though. You know, mm, I I feel like they would not be ahead of any undefeated teams. So be all the way down at number ten. It's then, really it eleven 10. at the highest. All right, let me throw some things out here. You think they'd be number eight after the Ohio State game and drop three spots over the next three games? Yeah, see, that's games. our yeah, perspective. I think they would drop. So. They would drop three spots after the Marshall game. Okay, and then just stay. There. All right, that's fair yeah. enough. Here's a, here's the way I look at. It. Okay, the top five is Alabama, Georgia. Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. Obviously, that's your top five. <clears throat> I think um, I think they'd be behind Tennessee because Tennessee's beaten Pittsburgh. They won at Pittsburgh and beat Florida. But I'm not, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, USC's beaten who? Oregon State at home. Right? Right. Uh, Penn State is, Penn State's biggest win is at Purdue. Oklahoma State's biggest win is Baylor. Baylor's lost twice now. Penn State, Penn State kicked the crap out of Auburn at Auburn, and I realize Auburn is a mess, but that's still like a talented team. Okay, and they they destroyed. All right, fair enough. I think they'd be ahead of. I think they'd be ahead of USC still. At number six. No, because I would have Tennessee ahead of them, and I and I and I grant you. You're Pete, right. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I grant you Penn State. I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that I spend 
minus five minutes thinking about because it's not yeah, but reality. I like the, but <clears throat> I like the hypothetical though because but, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think that the how we'd be talking about Notre Dame is yeah. more interesting than the ranking because right. would we be talking about Notre Dame as like oh a team on the rise like they really Marcus Freeman has really figured it out like would we just sort of skip over. I think I think the Marshall I, game. So I think I, we probably would. Yeah, they refused yeah. to lose. They refused to lose that game. Right. They got in overtime and they won. Now that yeah, real character, right. gritty. But it's hard lost, to win. They lost to Marshall and they're not in the top twenty-five and they don't belong in the top twenty-five. Uh, God, as we'd we be speak. spending a lot of time on the playoff scenarios as well, which <laughs> people are still asking about. Why can't we just? Why can't we just enjoy one game at a time? Especially this weekend. Playoffs, dig. Sorry. Also not funny for not in. Dave Marasco, Mike Bray, as a segue, seem very optimistic and excited about the upcoming season. Do you have the same optimism? What is the ceiling for this team? Top four in the ACC, Sweet 16. Bray's best teams are teams with lots of veterans, and he has that this year. I would like to remind people they finished second in the ACC last year. Yes. Yes. What? Yes. And I was number two in the ACC last year. Yes. And I, I, I was prompted to respond while I was away for the weekend with, with a thread, uh, with a message uh, on our message board saying that it's shameful that Notre Dame did not get rid of Mike Bray. You mean after last year when they went 25 and 11 and went 15 and five and finished second in ACC, if you mean a few years ago, okay. But anyway, um, top four in ACC, they better be sweet 16 absolute disappointment if they don't get to that you have Lashevsky it's hard to do, too. It's hard to do. it is it's, look at, I mean think about it Tim they, they were playing well last year like really well they, they really put it on Alabama which I would like to say at the end of a football podcast sometime and <laughs> you know they just ran into you get Texas <laughs> I will yeah. jump it I will jump yeah. in for Tim O'Malley there and, and look, it's a veteran basketball team, Lashevsky, Goodwin, uh, Ryan Hammond. I understand Marcus Hammond has looked very good. Um, Trey Wirtz, Trey Wirtz is, I would think Trey Wirtz's playing time is going to be compromised a little bit with the addition of Starling and Hammond, but really like what we've seen from, from Lubin. Zona's going to play, hearing that Konesny is, is in the running as well. The biggest problem is this. You know, you had you had a low post guy in Paul Atkinson that you could dump the ball down to. And when you weren't shooting well and you weren't scoring, you could throw the ball into Atkinson and he could make a post move yeah. and score. I think totally they feel great. like Lubin can be that guy, but he's not that guy yet. Zona's not that guy. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge thing not to have. I don't care how many shooters you have. If you can't rely on throwing the ball into the post and scoring – you know, you could run into problems and naturally rebounding because you could count on Atkinson for double digit rebounds per yeah, game. Yeah, he got better I, as well. he got better too. He Atkinson. did. He did. Yeah. I was just going to throw in like the whole sweet 16 part, unless you're a number one seed, but making it to the sweet 16 is really, really tough. I mean, last year, only two of the number two seeds made it. And I think th- three of the four seeds made it and, two of the three seeds made it. So it's not, I mean, they could finish second in the ACC and go what, like 16 and four and be a three seed making it to the sweet 16. While it would be disappointing if you didn't make it is it's not, um, it's not a given. No, but, but I'm saying it from the perspective of this basketball team. Oh yeah. It's a huge, they'll be devastated if they don't at least get to the sweet 16. And I'm told, that this weekend there was some there was some final four comments being thrown around with, with the with the media within earshot of that. And look, if you're a if you're, you're a, a player, twenty to twenty two year old college basketball player, hell yeah, you're thinking that they're as experienced as they've ever been in the history of the program. So you know, and that's COVID and various reasons, but um, they're they should be very very good, and they should be able to score. A lot, <laughs> a lot. This, yeah, this is this is important to note. Okay, Notre Dame's. You guys think the Jaron Grant team and the team that followed was probably better, right? Yeah, uh, yes, is okay a lot that? better. Yes. Okay. So Notre Dame to make the Sweet Sixteen 
with Jaron Grant and Pat Connaughton and Demetrius Jackson. Steve Vesturia, BJ Beachman, Bonzi Colson, Zach August. Beat Northwestern or Northeastern by four in the first round. Overtime against Butler in the second round to advance to the Sweet 16 because of Pat Connaughton's flying block shot. And the next year had a tip-in against Stephen F. Austin to get in the Sweet 16. <laughs> That's great. So it is hard to get the Sweet 16. It is hard to get to the Sweet 16. But that is that is absolutely where their mindset is and, and beyond. And so, you know, I expect a, a, a real quality season out of them with, you know, do they start slowly? I don't know. They they have in in, in recent years. I hope uh, not. Well, I guess losing Wesley and your transition to Starling, you should start, you should start okay with Cormac Ryan. David I would think so. Yeah, I would think right? so. I would, I would think so. All right. We're going to end up with a question back to football. Uh, probably should save it for Wednesday. We'll be having a podcast on Wednesday as we all head out to Vegas on Thursday. But the last question for, for today is from who, who J N D fan. Nor name defeats BYU. If everybody they get one, for, they're one for 200 yards, 200 yards rushing. Just give me that stat. Nor name wins the game automatic. With 200 yards rushing. Right. I'm going if they continue their success on first down offensively. Yeah. I, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's, it's on the offense because I think the defense will do enough to give them a chance to win the game. Jaron Hall is really good and they will score some points, but to me, all the keys basically are on the offensive side of the ball and it ties in with running it. Cause you're not going to throw it if you don't run it. I feel like every player on the offense, except for Michael Mayer needs to have success on first down to be, the player we think that guy can be. Michael Mayer can be great on third and 10 if somebody can give him the ball on third and 10. But Drew Pine is a lot better if he's facing second and five and third and three or third and four than he is right. if he's facing third and eight. Right, right. Hey, before we wrap up, I want a, a, a shout out to Jim Augustine, who is a sponsor for this uh, podcast, Augie's Locker Room, that everybody sees at the start of this. He's ailing a little bit. Just want to give a shout out to Jim, tell him to get better and how much we appreciate his sponsorship of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back on Wednesday, October 5th for our final preview of Notre Dame versus Brigham Young. Mm-hmm.